Good morning. Thank you for coming back. When you're a guest at some place two consecutive weeks, you never know. I don't think I meant this service when uh, I talked about some people needing to give up the hours they spend every week in church for the sake of the unsaved world. (laughs) But I know Craig knew that too. Fifteen years ago, a Calvin College professor, John Schneider, wrote a book with the provocative title, Godly Materialism. And in his introduction, explaining his choice of title, he described uh, a new redwood deck that uh, he and his family had had made for the back of their home in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the beautiful tree-lined backyard that their then grade school-aged children could play in happily and safely. And a new uh, grill he had purchased to uh, barbecue uh, on this new deck. And one summer evening, with his family doing all of those things, it dawned on him that, particularly in his Presbyterian, Calvinist, Reformed tradition, there were some, perhaps many, who would have looked a little bit uh, askance at what the Schneiders were doing. Was uh, this an appropriate use of uh, God's gifts? There is in that tradition of Christian thinking uh, a strong work ethic, but one that has historically often uh, refused to uh, spend much money on oneself or one's family. And... uh, to give a lot to others. And Schneider felt that there was an imbalance that he wanted to write a book about to try to correct. Namely, the theme in Scripture alongside of generous giving, of enjoying God's good created gifts because... They were made for his people to enjoy. I remember after reading that book, reflecting on my own socioeconomic pilgrimage. Raised in the Midwest in uh, a 900 square foot brick home built in the 1920s uh, to... uh, a family of school teachers. My uh, folks were uh, very thrifty. They uh, were very generous in giving to their church. And um, 
eating out or having a full-fledged out-of-state summer vacation um, or uh, spending uh, money for entertainment beyond the cheapest seats available was uh, a special thing for us kids. And uh, I remember the first few times we went from Western Illinois where we lived to uh, the Chicago suburban uh, neighborhoods where I saw houses bigger than anything I knew existed. And companies with immaculately sprinkled green lawns. See, in the Midwest, you don't normally bother with sprinkler systems. There's something called rain that uh, we learn more about this summer than we have in a long time here in Colorado. But uh, by this time in the summer, if you do truly want an immaculately green lawn, you do have to have a sprinkler system. But but no private families that I ever knew had them. This was something for for big corporations. And, and I remember that uh, jarring contrast between the two forms of living. I've lived in a number of places since, and that tension, one which... Uh, Little did I know we'd be given a a dramatic example of here with the pictures of the slums of Lima, which I was privileged to visit uh, almost 20 years ago now, and the sites don't look much different. A lot of good people have helped over the years, but uh, there continue to be a lot of needs. Where is this balance that Schneider thought some in his tradition were distorting? When my wife and I were first married and went for a three-year honeymoon to Scotland called graduate school, um, (laughs) we learned why... uh, Scottish has become a synonym for frugal in the early 80s. And living in what here would be called inner city conditions, we discovered that evangelical Christians there simply thought that was living Christianly. And I remember buying my first ever home when we moved here to uh, Colorado and we still live in it. So it's my only ever home that... We purchased and being very conscious that our overseas friends who had already made plans to visit us would would have culture shock at seeing uh, us living in a 1700 square foot home, which today is the smallest of everybody I am aware of on our full time faculty. (laughs) And these tensions continue. As I've had the opportunity to look through the scriptures in some detail, a text that is somewhat unique, and it may not tell us how to arrive at this balance, but it certainly addresses it. 
is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to it. It's a very short passage. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. So we'll be done on time. Assuming what they've told me was right about what's on time. (laughs) And I won't tell you. So that whenever I'm done, I'm on time. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Especially when uh, one chooses to study a passage this short, it's important to put it in its context. And the context of 1 Timothy 6 is that Paul is writing a letter to his junior colleague and son in the faith, Timothy, who he has left behind in the city of Ephesus to pastor the church there. It's been a few years since Paul founded that church and spent a full three years there, longer than he did at any other church that we know of. It's a church that has now had to start to combat some false teaching that has intruded into its midst. False teaching, which we learn in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, includes people who are forbidding marriage and the eating of certain foods. It seems they have an ascetic tendency, a a self-denial approach to life that says certain things created by God meant for good, should be avoided altogether. And as Paul tries to redress this situation, he hits upon a number of points throughout his letter. But when we come to verses 17 to 19 of chapter 6, he is trying to provide this balance that hopefully we today are seeking as well. The contents of chapter 6, verses 17 to 19 form a a little sandwich, uh, an A-B-A structure like two pieces of bread with uh, the good stuff in between. The first part of verse 17 reminds us of uh, the story of Zacchaeus last week and and his model of generosity and of uh, 
redressing the wrongs that he had committed. Verse 17a, if we can call it that, in essence says to God's people, don't trust in the transience of material possessions. Paul says to Timothy that he is to command those in his congregation who are rich, who are well off in this present world. And if we weren't thinking of ourselves that way when we came into the auditorium this morning, the slides should certainly have reminded us that on a global standard, every one of us in this room is rich. We're not poor and we're not even middle class. We're rich. Whether we're used to thinking of ourselves in that term or not. He says, command them two things. Not to be arrogant. The word here uh, is a little broader than the English word arrogant, which sometimes make us, makes us think just of people's outward attitudes. Oh, did you hear what he said? That was so arrogant but rather it refers to uh, inappropriately valuing or thinking too highly of anything that doesn't merit such trust. This word could be used of somebody who outwardly might seem very humble, very quiet, but if you got to know them, you would discover that... uh, They were trusting in their savings or their investments or their family or uh, their job or anything other than the true and living God of the universe. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. A slightly more literal translation of that would be not to place their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Which sounds a little strange because whoever consciously hopes in uncertainty? (laughs) We hope in riches, which we fool ourselves into thinking is certain. But the way Paul phrases it, even though it doesn't make much sense for a translator to put it exactly that way in in an English translation of the Bible, is literally saying that that when we focus on material possessions or our, our income or our investments or material resources of any kind, we are hoping in uncertainty. Anybody hear the news? We're in a recession. Tired of hearing about it? <laughs> if, if Americans hadn't learned the lesson before the recession, it, it's hard to see how people can avoid the plain truth now that material possessions can be gone in a heartbeat. And if, if not because of uh, what others do awry with our money, Because uh, 
Life can change to an unexpected car accident, to a diagnosis of a terminal illness that one had no idea was coming, or countless other experiences some of you have had. And most of us have had close friends and family members who have had. If it's the stuff of this world that we're hoping in, then we are hoping in uncertainty, in that which is by definition transient. Skip over with me for a moment. The rest of verse 17. And come to the other piece of bread of the sandwich in verses 18 and 19. What do we do because of the transience of this world's goods? <laughs> I love the little line George quoted. I first heard it years ago. You never saw hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> Verse 18 to 19 says, command them to do good. A term that in the New Testament regularly, not always, but frequently refers to doing good with one's money. To be rich in good deeds. To be generous. Another term that not always, but often has financial connotations. And willing to share. Koinonia, which isn't just fellowship uh, over coffee in the lobby. But when it's first introduced in Acts 2 and 4 and 5, involves the church sharing material possessions with the needy in their midst. How do we avoid inappropriately trusting in that which is transient by giving large amounts of it away so that we're not tempted to trust in it. And not just giving it away randomly, but giving it to the Lord's work, which includes the church and all of its ministry, but can't stop there, but has to do what uh, we saw and heard about in the report today, and that is extend to the neediest spiritually and physically around the world. If we sit loose and lightly to our earthly treasure, then, Paul says, in this way, we will lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, for the life to come, for life after death, so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you haven't read Revelation 21 and 22 recently, I, in, I encourage you to go back and read about the garden of earthly delight that we can look forward to sharing forever so much richer than what our culture and often our church depicts as a kind of ethereal, disembodied existence. 
That's just the temporary state. The Bible ends with new heavens and new earth when we can have the best stakes on the nicest deck with the most beautiful lawn and, and there will be no overindulgence and there will be wonderful satisfaction. But in order to get there, we have to engage in which, that which somebody once called delayed gratification. concept our culture is rapidly forgetting. but we don't have to delay at all. And there's the intriguing part of this passage. There's the meat, or if you're a vegetarian, whatever you like, in between the two pieces of bread. In between the warning against trusting in the transience of the things of this world, and the command to give generously and so store up eternal treasures is the second part of verse 17, which encourages us to enjoy God's good material gifts. Let's go back and read the the whole verse this time. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. But what kind of a God is it we are hoping in? One who richly provides us with everything, everything, not just spiritual things, everything for our enjoyment. This isn't the so-called prosperity gospel, the health-wealth movement that says just have enough faith or just be obedient enough and, and God will make you uh, healthy and wealthy. I'm not sure about wise. No, it, it's not that because we've already paid close attention to the two pieces of bread, and the sandwich. We're never promised, not New Testament Christians, that we will have health or wealth if we're just faithful and obedient enough. And if God chooses to bless us with that, this passage tells us, uh, give a bunch of it away. But not necessarily all. Jesus did command one rich young man to do that, but he was the only person in all of Scripture who ever received that command. And then he praised Zacchaeus for giving away half. And had we taken the time last week to go one passage further in Luke 19, he praises those uh, servants in a, a parable that he tells who invested wisely and made more money for their master rather than one than the one who didn't try. Almost sounds like capitalism. We can start to feel a little better. Except that the sting in the tail there was that 
It was all the master's money on loan and he would require an accounting of the use of it all. So how are we supposed to use it? Not apparently like those that Paul calls false teachers in Ephesus in commanding people to avoid altogether certain good uses of created things that God had designed for His people. He doesn't call the rich to trade places with the poor. That doesn't solve anything. It just changes who needs the help. But He commands us to give from our surplus, to be honest about how much is surplus, but then to enjoy the rest in wholesome activities. And that's where Schneider's point, I think, is well taken. Or transfer it to a different context. It's okay to eat out and have a a nice splash-out meal now and then as long as that's not the way you live every day. I've known people who barely ever eat at home and could free up so much more money to give to others if they would occasionally be a bit more modest. But I don't know many people like that. It's okay to have a nice vacation, especially if you've worked hard for most of the year and and you're working hard in a vocation or a profession that is honorable, that that fits into uh, some aspect of God's uh, plan for uh, this universe. It's okay to uh, enjoy a a measure of that wealth. Uh, If you're going on vacation more than you are working, then things are out of balance. It's okay to uh, redecorate your home, put paint where it needs it, not just for resale value. So long as you're not obsessed with having the best furniture and the most up-to-date paint, whatever that might be, or always driving the late model, fancier cars. It's okay to do it now and then. Tony Campolo got in trouble years ago for saying it is not possible to be a Christian and drive a BMW. (laughs) That's really not the issue. The the question is, is it possible to be a Christian and own a BMW? Yeah, it probably is if somebody gave it to you for a song (laughs) so that you can free up money that you actually would have spent more on a, a, a smaller car. Enjoy God's good gifts. What does that balance look like for you? Maybe different than for the person sitting next to you. 
and how easy it is to judge the person sitting next to you rather than to seek to apply the message to yourself. (laughs) Oh boy, I wish Joe had been here this morning instead of on that splash-out vacation so he could have heard this message. No, 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 that's the wrong attitude. What does the balance look like for you? I, I think my only concern about Schneider's book after I read it, and there's a, a second edition that came out just a couple of years ago. I think he got too much heat for his title, Godly Materialism, so he changed it, but only slightly, to the good of affluence. <laughs> I think my only concern is that the number of people I have personally met in the Western world, traveling as much as I do over the last 20 or 30 years, who seem uh, too stingy with what they spend on themselves, is a fairly small number compared to the number of folks I've met who, as far as I can tell, have never thought about the possibility that God might be calling them to a simpler lifestyle so that they could give up more for kingdom work. I have met some. And, and his book, books are exactly what those folks need. And so is a text like this, the, the good stuff in the middle of the sandwich. But the bread's still there too. Don't put your trust in the transience of the material things of this world. Give generously. You know, God knows what is truly generous for your circumstances. Even if we don't and and don't need to. But then if you do that, relax. Chill out. Don't be hyper. Enjoy some of the good things that are left. And if we can on a regular basis keep both of those balancing truths in mind and not assume that last year's balance works again this year, And that's true for churches as well. There's a shortfall between the budget and the income. And the good news is it's not as big as you'd budgeted for. That's great. Usually churches have it the other way around. (laughs) There's two things that could be wrong. One, some aren't giving enough. They're not giving generously. And... The other is that the church has budgeted too much. And I don't know what combination of those two applies here. That's the nice thing about being a guest. (laughs) If I step on anybody's toes, it's totally unwittingly. (laughs) And then I'm gone. But are you willing to ask God the question? questions for you and your family and for West Bowles.
So we ask him now. Father, what a wonderful and exciting and convicting and thrilling passage all wrapped up into one. Help me. Help each one here. Help West Bowles Community Church collectively to on a regular basis, especially as life circumstances change, to turn to you and to ask, am I truly being generous? Am I being generous enough? Am I giving away enough to demonstrate that I'm not trusting in the stuff of this life? Show us what that looks like for us and help us to be obedient. And then if there are any who have an anxious spirit that you're some kind of a cosmic killjoy and don't want them to enjoy what's left. Help them with that, too. Help us. Help us figure out what that balance looks like for us and not our neighbors. Unless they want our help. In fact, it would be great if you would put a few people in each of our lives that we would trust enough that we could share our commitments and concerns with and they could give us good advice and help hold us accountable. Thanks for a chance to worship you this morning for the beauty of this day and of the part of the world you put us in that has so much more sunshine and green grass and prosperity than Lima. Help countless millions around the world, especially those who are your people and who count on us to be generous and sacrificial in our giving so that their burdens would be lightened at least a little. Thanks for this team that went to Peru and for others that have gone to other parts of the world, may that be a facet of the ministry of this church that simply continues to grow and even explode. Encourage us with your presence and your guidance for this week. Bring us back together to hear Doug Grotheis and lay a message on his heart and help him to Communicate it clearly over the next two weeks. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed.